Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is JR. I'm the teaching pastor here at Catalyst. And uh, this, this was a weird Sunday to try to, to try to get our heads around planning for a number of reasons. Uh, probably the most obvious to most of us is uh, the, sh- the shootings in Uvalde last week and all of the, and, and what happened in, you know, uh, the previous two before that, and just grappling yet again with a nation that uh, continues to be paralyzed by how to respond in, in the face of, of these incidents that keep happening. Uh, it's, al- it's always difficult in those spaces to figure out uh, what we do and come together on a Sunday and, and how, we, uh, how we worship uh, given the reality of the suffering that's happening around us and the fear that many of us live in and the, the frustration and the anger. Uh, on top of that, uh, next week is Pentecost Sunday, which is the, the, like the birthday of the church. And uh, so what, I, what we're actually doing today, uh, in large part, was going to be what we did next week. Uh, however, uh, one of our preaching team, Sonia, uh, who's with us in the live chat today, so Sonia, glad you're feeling better, but she has been really sick the last couple of weeks. She was actually supposed to, to preach last week and had to, had to miss. I was talking with her on the phone earlier this week, and she still you know, sounded real bad, was coughing and stuff like that, and she was like, I just really don't know if I should preach this Sunday, and I was like, then, then don't. Like, we'll just move. We'll, we move stuff around. That's what we do if we need to. Um, the, the whole thing of the Holy Spirit is that the Spirit does what the Spirit does, not what uh, our rules and, and structures say. So, yes, we have a church calendar that says Pentecost is next week, but if our preacher is not feeling up to it, then we just move stuff around, and that's great. Uh, Sonia's message is terrific. I cannot wait to hear it next week. Um, but this week, we're just moving Pentecost up a week. So, uh, it's sort of like what it's sort of like is when you have a birthday week, right? And even though your birthday is on one day, you claim the whole week. That's what we're doing, right? So yes, the church's birthday is next week. It's the church's birthday week. We're enjoying the whole thing. Um, I love birthdays. Many of you know that about me. Uh, Not just mine. I mean, I love my birthday and I like celebrating my birthday, but anyone's birthday, if I find out it's their birthday, I just like to make a big deal about it. Um, You know, throw a party, just have a good time, something like that. There are other people in the world, and we won't name them like Nathan, who bend over backwards to make sure nobody knows when their birthday is, uh, because for some reason they don't like it when their friends celebrate them and talk about how great they are and find excuses to throw parties for them. So uh, I get it. I understand that. And I know that I have ways I could access that information, but out of respect for you, I don't. So I don't know when Nathan's birthday is. Yeah, privacy laws, right? That's, I mean, whatever, but right? I, I'm just saying, like, I, I get it. I respect. And if you wanted me to know when your birthday was, you would tell me. So that's fine. All right. I'll just celebrate you random days. Uh, that's fine. I don't care. Uh, I have, a, I have a friend named Kathy who, uh, her birthday is in September. It's actually towards the end of September. And uh, a number of years ago, she started declaring September as her birthday month. And uh, some people were like, that seems a little bit excessive. But she explained it to me uh, and some of her friends. She said, uh, I am a very self-critical person. It's very difficult for me to believe that I am worthy in any way of being celebrated. And so for me, like, uh, what I do during September every day is I come up with one specific thing, and it can be a big thing like a birthday party or a small thing like treating myself to a latte or something like that. But I do one thing every day of September to celebrate me and to remind myself that I am worthy of love and worthy of being celebrated in a world that so consistently tells me I'm not. And I just love that. I love this idea of celebrating 
as a form of resistance, uh, as, a, as a way of pushing back against the dominant narrative in our culture that says that some people are more valuable than other people, um, that some people are a threat or a danger, or that, uh, that what we are primarily good for is what we can produce. I mean, there's all kinds of, of ways that our culture tries to devalue us. And for someone like Kathy, who is just, I mean, one of the best people uh, that I know, to, to say, you know what, I'm going to resist that, and I'm going to resist that by celebrating. It, it's just, it, honestly, it's really inspiring to me, and it's really challenging in a way. And so as I was trying to figure out what we were going to do today, knowing that we're doing Pentecost early and knowing what's happening in our world, I thought, you know, I, I want us still to celebrate. Um, and I think, I think it's possible that when churches worship together in the midst of these kinds of cultural experiences of trauma, it can feel like we're like sticking our heads in the sand and just singing, you know, in the sweet by and by until Jesus comes and takes us out of the world. But it doesn't have to be that way. And what we'll see is, is on the first Pentecost, when the church was first incorporated by the Holy Spirit, it wasn't that way. It was very much a group of people who really didn't have a chance of accomplishing the things that God had called them to, coming together being empowered by the Holy Spirit and celebrating that it wasn't their capabilities that made their mission possible. It was that they were filled by the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that made their mission possible. And what was true for them then is still true for us today. So uh, I'm going to invite you uh, to join us in a space of celebration. And I'm going to do that, uh, and I'm going to ask you to bring also with you whatever you brought in with you, whether that is thoughts and feelings and angers and anxieties about what's going on in our, our world and our nation, whether that's something a lot more close to home, like maybe there's family drama or family trauma or something like that. Maybe you're just having a great week and, and you're fine, right? Whatever that is, I'm going to invite you to bring that in, in with us as we worship. Uh, our online folks, same thing for you. Um, you know, whether you're participating in the live chat, whether you're just you know driving down the road, whatever you're doing as you're as you're worshiping with us too, bring that in here. Uh, for those of you who are online, you see we're going to be receiving communion here at the end of our gathering together. So grab some elements so that you can participate with us. Uh, hopefully, if you're in the building, you grab something on the way in, one of the little uh, communion cup things uh, as we're going. But again, today is today is the beginning of the birthday week of the church, I'm declaring that, uh, and, and we are going to celebrate together, not ignoring what's happening in our lives and in our world, but celebrate as an act of resisting those things that want to dehumanize us and deny the image of God and all of the people, both here as we're worshiping together and in the world at large. So I'm going to invite you, I'm going to hand it over to Nathan and Christina, I'm going to invite you all to stand with us, unless you're driving, uh, in which case just don't. Um, but everyone else, uh, stand with us and as we begin to sing together. Uh, we are in the end, coming to the end of our series that hangs out between the, our celebration of the resurrection of Jesus at Easter, and then, as I mentioned earlier, the celebration of the church receiving the Holy Spirit, which is in many ways the birthday of the church. And during, this, during that season every year, we like to ask the question, you know, what does it mean to say that the church received the Holy Spirit, right? What, what does it mean that the Holy Spirit is present in us and among us? 
And so this year, our series has been called Reconnected, and we've been going back to the book of Acts to follow the story of those early Christians that, that so early they didn't even call themselves Christians yet. That happens like halfway through the book of Acts, right? Um, at first, they just called themselves the way uh, because they were following the way of Jesus. And so uh, throughout this series, we've been looking at how the Holy Spirit challenged them, how the Holy Spirit changed them, uh, and and. and Along the way, we've been looking at things like the fact that there's a temptation in the church to celebrate uh, and pursue people who are sort of the center of culture, right? People who have wealth or fame uh, or power. Like, I don't, rem- I don't know if any of you remember when the bass player for Korn became a Christian, but suddenly that was like a huge deal because Korn's like, a, you know, a big new rock band and everyone's like, oh, this means like everyone's going to be a Christian now because the guy from Korn did and I probably is a good dude, right? But uh, it turned out Nothing really changed that much. Things just kind of went on, and now he is, like, he makes music and stuff. And again, I don't wish him any ill will. It's just interesting that, right, like, when someone who is high profile, who has fame and power uh, or or wealth, comes to follow Jesus, we tend to get really excited about that. But then when other people do who are maybe more towards the margins, it's eh, not that big a deal. And we saw the danger of that. We saw how actually in the early church, uh, that was not the case, that the, the people who tended to be more towards the center of culture were the ones who, uh, frankly, had too much to lose to follow Jesus, even though they, they thought the, early, the, the work of the early Christians was compelling, even though they thought the, the good news of Jesus' resurrection was compelling. It just would cost them too much to be associated with a guy that Rome crucified. So they just sort of stood at a distance and gave their approval. While it was the people on the margins who got really, really excited about this possibility of an upside-down world where the last would be first and the first would be last. Uh, In the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the tensions that we experience when uh, people who are inside the church uh, but don't know Jesus uh, come to the fore, right? And, and what it looked like for some of those earliest Christians who were Jewish, because Jesus was Jewish, right? Uh, to have these, what we would call interior sort of interfacing dialogues with other people who already considered themselves part of the people of God. And yet the fruit of their lives bore out otherwise. And so we looked at, we looked at how the earliest Christians navigated those tensions and what that means for us today. So as we're, as we're now, uh, again, at the birthday week of Pentecost, right, because it's supposed to be next week, but it's this week, I want to look forward at our, our anticipation of the celebration of Pentecost and ask again uh, what it means to say that the Holy Spirit is with us. Because uh, there's this sense that I think we have, at least I'll say I have it, in the church, that things would be easier and therefore better if Jesus just maybe had never left. He was like, you know, our eternal pope or whatever, just always here. And so we wouldn't ever have to ask, for instance, what's the right perspective on this particular issue? Or could you clear up this theological argument? Because, you know, he's just, you just go ask him, right? He's right there. Uh, we wouldn't have to wonder about all of the complexities of faith because Jesus is with us. Now, that ignores a couple of important things. One is that when Jesus was present on the earth, the disciples seemed actually as confused as anyone else. So it didn't actually seem that having Jesus present was that clarifying for much because he had this uh, annoying habit of refusing to just give people easy answers, right? Almost as though uh, what was really important for us was not having all of the right answers, but entering into the struggle of faith for ourselves. And so he would, when someone would ask a relatively simple question, like, 
what must I do to inherit eternal life? He would answer with a story that had a few different ways you could interpret it, and then he would often not really try to clarify it. So, so that's, that's like the first problem is like, actually, when you look at the people who did hang out with Jesus, it didn't seem to have helped that much. So that should be our first clue. The other one, though, is Jesus's words himself, that he actually seems to think that we are in a better position today to be a people of faith actively engaged in the world than his disciples were while he was still with them. So turn with me uh, to John chapter 14, if you have a Bible. We're going to be in John 14, and we're going to go over to Acts chapter 2 for the story of Pentecost here in a little bit. Uh, so if you grab a Bible out of the back, John 14 is on page 648. We'd love for you to uh, keep that Bible if you, if you need one. Uh, feel free to consider, consider it a gift from us. Uh, now, as you're turning to John 14, as I said, this is actually from when Jesus was still with his disciples. It's the night before he was crucified. Uh, and in John, John gives us a, a long story that goes from uh, Jesus washing the disciples' feet through this dialogue that they shared together and then ends with this beautiful prayer that Jesus prays over his disciples. And then it moves into uh, like the arrest and, and all that kind of stuff. So this is, this is during uh, his conversation with the disciples and uh, you're going to hear Philip, one of, the, one of the 12 disciples, ask Jesus if they can see the Father. What he means by that is, like, can you show us God? Can we see God? Can we have this mystical, powerful experience? It's not an uncommon thing for people in the Bible to ask. Moses asked that when he was talking directly with God. God was like speaking out of a thundercloud, and Moses was like, can I just see you? And God basically said, well, if you saw me, you'd die, so you can see my back. And it was this whole weird thing where, like, God walked past Moses, and then once God was past, like, let Moses see God's back. Uh, so that's sort of the framework that the disciples have for asking this question, right? Is uh, only, like, people like Moses, pretty important, right? Like, on the holy scale, probably pretty high, like, eight or nine, maybe, you know, out of ten. Uh, only they can see God, and even then, they can't really see, they just get to see, like, God's back. Uh, but they've been with Jesus, and they know that Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus keeps claiming to be God, and so they're going to take a shot, right? Can Jesus show us the Father? And here's what Jesus says. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. And so Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. So just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work that you have seen me do. Now, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. So there John's talking, or Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, and he says these things to the disciples, who uh, it's been a tense week for them. 
Uh, they came, you know, if, if you were here, we, we talked about this at Easter, right? They came and they entered into the city with Jesus in, in a very triumphal sort of way. Things were looking good. And then as the week goes on, the city turns against him. Things get tense. They seem to be getting worse, not getting better. And so at this Last Supper setting, uh, it is not particularly celebratory. Uh, they're supposed to be observing Passover, and yet it is, uh, it's, it's really, really tense, uh, not among them necessarily, but, but between them and the city. They're expecting some kind of powerful revolutionary action on Jesus' part, some way that he's going to rise up and declare himself to be the Messiah, and instead it keeps not happening, and, and they're just very confused, which is why Philip said, can you show us the Father? Right? Can we get some certainty here? Can we have something to hold on to? in the midst of all of this tension and chaos. And Jesus says, listen, I mean, you should know by now, right? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because we are one. And he says then that he's going to leave them, but he's going to send the advocate, the Holy Spirit, in his place. And because of that, not only will the disciples be able to do everything Jesus has done, but he says even greater things. Right? So this is, this is Jesus saying here in John, it's better for you if I leave so that you can receive the Holy Spirit. Which again, in a lot of ways makes sense because imagine if Jesus was still here, right? Unlikely he'd probably be living in the United States, probably living somewhere in the Middle East, right? So if you did want to go talk to him, A, I cannot imagine who is scheduling for him, but probably a long wait list, right? A lot of travel expenses, a lot of things like, I mean, it would just be a lot, if, if there's one person in one place in one space in the world, like it's a lot more difficult to get there than it is if we just have the Holy Spirit who is the third person of the Trinity. We're gonna talk about that more in a couple of weeks, but someone who, God who is present with us and among us. Jesus has this radical idea that we are in a place where we can know God and God can know us and we can be united together in that loving knowledge. Uh, it, this, this has taken me and is still something that challenges me. It takes me a long time to get my mind around. Because if you asked me, would you prefer church the way it is or a church where you had like bodily access to Jesus, I'd be like, give me Jesus every time, right? I mean, we all uh, probably, if you were my age, you remember the WWJD stuff, right? We're all like, yeah, we would just love it if we just could like ask him and he could show us. We all, I think, have this like instinctual preference for like, yeah, give us the guy. And yet Jesus himself insists that the way things are is better for us if we will have faith and take advantage of that. So I want to pause there because again, I just think that's a really challenging idea. And it's one that, it's one that I have to choose to believe in faith because it just doesn't feel right especially when you look around at the state of the church today, and you're like, mm, I don't know. I think maybe you should just come back. So I want to pause there, and I want to go back into worship. I want, to, I want us to go back into singing, and singing things that we want to be true in our spirits, right? Singing words that are teaching us to trust and to shape our trust. Uh, and then I want to come back and talk about Pentecost and get a picture of what the Spirit does in the church on that day and how that can lead us to celebrate again in the midst of of everything that's happening in our world and in our lives. So, uh, Nathan, do you want us to stand again, or what's the... Okay, you can do what you feel. Uh, so if you uh, are still have a Bible, turn with me to Acts 2. 
Uh, this is the story of Pentecost. Again, if you're in one of the Bibles out of the back, that's 655. Uh, so, so this is right at the beginning of the book of Acts, uh, which uh, if you've been with us, you remember is uh, a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. So Luke tells the story of Jesus, Acts tells the story of the Holy Spirit. And so it, it opens with Jesus appearing to the disciples uh, after he was raised from the dead. The disciples wondering if now is the time, finally, that he is going to triumphantly kick out Rome and establish his kingdom on earth and reward them all. And Jesus continuing to remind them that's not the plan. Uh, they, they continue to be confused and frustrated. And so Jesus says, uh, it's okay. Uh, if you remember clear back when we started the series, his instructions to them were, were wait and stay, right? Stay where you are and wait for God to send the Holy Spirit. And they don't understand what that means, but they, they, they follow Jesus' command. They wait in Jerusalem, they meet together, they pray together, and there's waiting. And Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, is when the Holy Spirit uh, falls on them. And, and in probably all the ways that matter, actually constitutes them as a church, right? It's when they go from being sort of a study group to the church, the body of Christ visible in the world. And so I, want, I just want to read the story of Pentecost. I'm going to read it slowly. Uh, and, you know, I, I thought about, like, stopping and picking apart all of the interesting things, but what, I, what I'd actually prefer to do in the spirit of the day is to just read it slowly for you and allow the Holy Spirit to call your attention to some, just whatever, whatever you see happening. And then after we finish, I'll have, have a couple of comments for it before we move into communion. Uh, but but he, here is what happens when the disciples, who are frustrated and confused, who, after the crushing defeat of Jesus' crucifixion, experience this rush of hope at his resurrection that uh, probably more quickly than they anticipated turns back into confusion and frustration as Jesus continues not to be the Messiah that they thought. And so now they're gathered uh, hiding away because the people of Jerusalem are still not excited about their presence. Uh, they're praying together. They feel powerless. They feel weak. They feel confused and afraid. And this is what happens next. On the day of Pentecost, all of the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or, or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now at the time, there were devout Jews from every nation who were living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. Uh, how can this be? They exclaimed. I mean, these people here are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from uh, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamph uh, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both uh, Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in, in our own languages about these wonderful things that God has done. So they stood there, amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. Others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. So then Peter stepped forward 
with the 11 other apostles, and he shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what, was, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. So there's this uh, inexplicable uh, mystic experience, right? Where there's this loud sound, loud enough that it causes people to come see what's happening, right? Uh, those, those who are gathered there ha- see this, uh, this sort of strange thing that looks like you know, tongues of fire on their heads. They're not really sure what it is. Uh, it seems like language is sort of straining to describe what they saw. And then they start telling the good story of Jesus to people who are gathered from all over. the Pentecost was a, a holy day, right? So there were all kinds of pilgrims who had traveled from all over the known world to be back in Jerusalem celebrating. And so the disciples are all of a sudden finding themselves supernaturally able to communicate with all of these people in their own language, which is just a beautiful moment, right? That they, that they could hear the good news about Jesus in language that is their language, right? The, the first language that they have. Uh, it's a powerful statement about God's intention for the world. And it's such, I, it's such a confusing thing that some people try to explain, uh, you know, they must all be drunk, which I, I don't know. I didn't think being drunk worked like that, but whatever, right? I don't know, I don't know what, they were, what they're doing here. But uh, Peter gets up and he, he tells them what's going on, right? He says, he says what you're seeing is something that was promised a long time ago. This is, not, this is not God starting from scratch. This is not God doing something different. This is not God scrapping all of God's plans and going back to the drawing board, right? What you are seeing is the plan. And it has been the plan all along, such that a guy who lived hundreds of years ago saw that something like this would happen and told us to expect it. And now we are seeing it. Now we are recipients of that promise. I just want to say a couple of things as we move towards uh, responding today. In the the context of our celebration of of the church's birthday. Um, It's important for us, and I hope we've seen this throughout this series. We're certainly going to see it next week when Sonia finishes it up. Uh, that the church's response to the world is never to hide or to cower. Uh, it, it is always to engage. And, and uh, I think that that's a call for us, given everything we've seen in the last couple of weeks in our culture. Uh, it is easy for us to hide behind worship songs, prayer, sermons, right? It's easy for us to hide behind those things as a way to say we're doing our part, right? Um, but again, the long story of God, going back well before the Spirit made us the church, is that worship without action is false. Worship without action is evil. Uh, worship without action makes God sick. And so if we are to be a church that takes our worship seriously, which I hope we do, 
uh, then we also need to be a church that takes loving our neighbors seriously. And I know that all of the issues facing us are complicated and complex, uh, and they're not, they're not solved by a, a pithy bumper sticker saying, uh, they're not, but they're certainly also not solved by a worship song or a sermon. Uh, what it requires of us is what we see in Acts, the church coming together, waiting together, staying together, praying together, being engaged in the world around us, and trusting that Jesus really meant what he said when he said that we're in a better place than, the, than we were when he was hanging out with us. Because all of us together have the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit brings us all together, we are the temple of God. And if we will work together, if we will pray together and sing together and converse together and study together and uh, live together, uh, we, can, we can be a force for change and for hope. We can be people who make peace in the world, which is what Jesus calls us to do, right? To be peacemakers. The world needs peace. And so, in light of the fact that this is the birthday week of the church, in light of the fact that we are celebrating the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the fact that because of the Holy Spirit, we are more than a social club, we are more than an activity that we do together, we are God's visible body on the earth. Uh, I do want to move us into a space of celebration. I want to do that first by prayer and receiving communion together, and I want to do that through singing a couple more songs. And so, uh, if you've never received communion with Catalyst before, I'm just going to tell you, it's real, it's real simple. I'm going to lead you through a prayer of examine, which is just some questions that, that we're going to give you space to reflect on prayerfully. So this is an opportunity for either silent prayer, or if you're here with someone, uh, you're, you're welcome to discuss with them a little bit. Discussion is prayer as well. Uh, and then we're going to receive communion together, and then uh, we're going to sing some songs together. So... Uh, here's the first question I want you to consider. Think about the week that's brought you here. Ask the question, how have, I, how have I experienced the Holy Spirit's presence in my life in the last week? And I'm telling you, you don't have to know the answer to that, right? This is a question you ask in prayer. How have I experienced it? God, show me where I've experienced the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, when have I ignored or closed myself off to the Holy Spirit in the last week? Now think about the week that's ahead of us and ask those same two questions. First, how might I be tempted to ignore the Holy Spirit in this next week or close myself off to the Holy Spirit in this next week?
finally, how can I be open to the Holy Spirit? How can I make space to be open to the Holy Spirit in this next week? Pray together. God, you have gathered us here today through the power of your Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised your son Jesus from the dead and the same Spirit that gathered the church and constituted the church at Pentecost. We confess that many of us have gathered today with, with heavy spirits, uh, with confusion and anger, uh, and we are unsure what to do, how to respond to the suffering in our world and in our own hearts. And so we worship today by faith, by choosing to believe that the things you say are true, by choosing to believe that you will be faithful to fulfill the promises that you made to your church. In that spirit, we approach your communion table today, and we receive these elements we pray that as we do, that they would be a spiritual food, that in, that in receiving this meal together, uh, we would sense yet again that you have brought us all together from all of those different ways and spaces that we've come and made us to be your church. As we move now into a time of singing together and celebrating together yet again the, the birth of your church and the continued presence of the, your church in the world, we pray that that would be a celebration that is not a celebration of hiding, but one of defiance. One that says that we know that you are still with us and that you are still present with us and that you are still working in the world and calling us to work in the world. And so we can sing and clap and celebrate because we know that you're not finished and that you refuse to let evil and death and suffering have the last word. We offer these prayers now and we approach your table in the name of your son, Jesus. Uh, the night before Jesus was killed, he shared that meal with his disciples, and at that meal he broke bread, and he gave it to them, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it. And when the meal was finished, he gave them a cup of wine, and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink it. And so now we too eat and drink, and as we do, we remember Jesus' death until he returns for us. As you're going, I want to say thank you to those of you who are supporting Catalyst financially. Thank you for enabling us to do what we do. Thank you also to our volunteers for supporting us and helping us create this space every week. As you're going, I know some of you are out of school, but Garland is doing that year-round thing, so you get homework this week. Sorry. Um, so uh, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible is Romans 8, and it's where Paul is talking about what it means for us to to have received the Holy Spirit and have the Holy Spirit living within us. And so by way of a blessing today, I'm going to read uh, a bit of Romans 8 over you, but your assignment this week is just to spend some time with this chapter. Uh, that can be praying through it, it can be reading it in a few different versions, uh, taking, taking an uh, audio version with you when you go running or walking or whatever. I don't, care, I don't care how you do it, 
right? But just spend some time this week uh, really meditating on what it means that, that you and I, uh, through God's grace, have been given the Holy Spirit, uh, not so that we can hide from the world, but so that we can love the world the way God loves the world. So uh, I'd like to, to read this over you as a blessing uh, and then send, send us on our way this week. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So if you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when God adopted you as his own children. And so now we call him Abba Father, for his Spirit joins with our Spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are God's children, we are God's heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must share in his suffering. And yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against this will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up into the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God gives us our full rights as God's adopted children, including the new bodies that God has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. Of course, if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it, right? But if we look forward to something, then, that we don't have yet, then we must wait patiently and confidently. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays with us, for us, with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father knows all hearts and knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Go in the grace and peace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next week.